Well, I'm Jared, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my privilege today to introduce you to a great treat. This is a surprise for many of us, and uh, you're going to be glad you're being surprised with this one. Uh, we have a friend, uh, guest speaker today, Sean Sotelli, uh, who is here, uh, and uh, let me tell you a little bit about Sean and Katie. Uh, Sean actually is an evergreener. He was uh, a student here at Evergreen. And uh, Sean and uh, Nick Van Lu, also in the front row here, um, were partners in crime. I do not use that term loosely. Uh, how many of you know Sean and knew Nick when they were in high school? Uh, there, there are more than you want. Either of you, there are more than you want. And uh, you can correct the record in the lobby if you'd like to afterwards. This is going to be a lot of fun. So uh, the, the kind of exciting and scary news is that Sean is a great spiritual leader, and Nick serves on our church council. So be nice to those students that are not behaving all of the time. I want you to know they may be your boss someday. <laughs> Sean uh, grew up from uh, here at Evergreen, went to Life Pacific College in Southern California, um, graduated with a bachelor's degree in biblical studies, went on to Azusa Pacific University, and receiving a master's degree in organizational leadership. Uh, Sean, you went to work for a good friend of ours um, who started an organization called Ignite Academy that attracted um, young adults to come and be trained and then to be engaged in international missions, and you served as the coordinator of missions for three years. Then Sean accepted a position at one of our large sister churches in uh, Palmdale, California at the Highlands as the uh, pastor of young adults, and for the last four years has served in Santa Clarita at the Church on the Way Santa Clarita and now serving as an executive pastor. Uh, Katie, you met Sean uh, your freshman year of uh, Bible college. You would not date him until after he graduated. This is the story. There's more to the story, but I, I don't know it, and we'll check in with you in the lobby about that. Uh, just celebrated your seventh anniversary. You have uh, a beautiful daughter and son and a third one on the way. Uh, Ann and I uh, met uh, Sean and Katie shortly after they were married. And in our uh, trips at that time, fairly frequently to Southern California, we always made a point to find an excuse to connect with the two of you for coffee or for a meal. And it's just been really fun for us to watch you just grow and uh, become uh, the amazing leaders and uh, Sean teacher that you are. Uh, Sean uh, is going to come and help us with uh, the series as we move forward today. Uh, you'll have uh, an opportunity out in the lobby to greet them as well. Would you give a rousing welcome home to Sean Satilli? <laughs> Sean and Katie are here this weekend because Sean's little sister, Natalia... Right. Married Braden yesterday, right here on yeah. this uh, platform, and your son who is uh, is 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 going on three. Is that right? Yeah, two and a half. Yeah, two and a half, going on three was in the wedding yesterday, and Sean had a very very important role, <laughs> helping him be successful. That's right. But he did not need you. He was an obvious natural born leader, best behaved child I have ever seen. Almost. Thank you came down, did you proud. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for taking us into God's Word today and sharing with us what God's put on your heart. It's already messed with me months. Once, I'm ready for the second time around. Once again, would you say welcome, Sean? Thank you, Pastor Jared. You guys know you have one of the best pastors there are, don't you? Can you guys give it up for Pastor Jared and Ann? Uh, 
You guys need to know, I love your pastor so much. Uh, anytime I get the opportunity, as Pastor Jared was just mentioned, to uh, hang out and visit with them, we always have a good time. It's full of laughs. And uh, thank you guys so much for the opportunity to, to be here this morning and to share with the congregation. And so good to be back home and with you guys. And uh, Pastor Jared uh, officiated my sister's wedding yesterday right here and did such a wonderful job. It was so beautiful. And uh, it was such a great uh, honor to be back and to be with you and to be here this morning. So uh, thank you. And uh, how many are you, how many are feeling rested this morning? Uh, yeah, if you're a parent like me, I'm working on my, <laughs> I'm going back to school doing some more studies, but how many of you know that you turn the clocks back and your kids still wake up early? Uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. Um, but uh, it's so great to be here. I, if, uh, I just feel like I need to start this way. If you knew me when I was, uh, before I moved away, I just, I apologize in advance. Um, yeah, I was the kid, uh, I was that kid that sat in the back row, um, back row crew. I'm with you. My parents, uh, you know, I, my parents were the ones they said, uh, you have to go to the church, otherwise we won't pay your car insurance. And so, man, I was a faithful attender, you know, perfect track record. And uh, I knew that if I flipped every page of the Bible, by the time I got to the end of the Bible, service would be over. So if you start zoning out, uh, there's a little tool for you. And um, uh, I think I was also, yeah, I was also the kid. We, I remember we, one day before youth group, we saw this guy, and uh, he was, uh, I think he was high, and we're like, oh, this will mess with our youth pastor. So we invited him with us to church just to see how that would go over. And this was before you guys, like, I guess since I've left, you guys legalized it or something. I don't know. So I leave for a few years and everything changes. But uh, um, <laughs> so uh, it's great to be back. And uh, speaking of weddings, uh, you guys you want to hear my most embarrassing wedding story? Uh, I've been in, been in a, several, a few weddings now, officiated several. And um, my favorite story from weddings is... It was before, so it took place before my wife and I even started dating. Uh, through college, I was a server uh, at Applebee's, the restaurant. I don't even know if they exist anymore, but uh, I was a server there. And so I'm in my friend's wedding. I'm one of the groomsmen. We're walking down the aisle. It was the wedding rehearsal. It was the night of the rehearsal. And, um, and I remember the girl I'm partnered with, as we're walking down, I'm thinking, man, you look really familiar. Like, I know I've seen you somewhere. And so we go through the rehearsal. She's really quiet. I'm thinking, man, she must be an introvert. She's hardly said a word, you know. Oh, well, it's, it's a wedding. And so, uh, so we get to the rehearsal dinner following the, the rehearsal, and uh, we got the bridesmaids, the groomsmen, the family. Everyone's around the table, and it's loud. We're talking. And so finally, I, I just thought, you know, I'm going to ask the question. I was, so I asked her. She's sitting across the table from me. Again, the whole wedding party sitting around us. So I asked her, I said, where have I, I feel like I've seen you before. Where, I know I've seen you. Have I seen you somewhere before? And I'll tell you, man, it was like a loaded shotgun. She's been waiting for like two or three years to like give me this answer. So she drops the bomb. She goes, yeah. And just like, just like this, she's like, yeah, I met you uh, about three years ago. Uh, my mom was one of your regulars at the restaurant. Uh, she was trying to set us up on a date. So I came with her. I gave you my phone number uh, and you said you'd call and you've never called. I mean, just like that. The place was silent. You could hear a pin drop. And I'm just thinking like, I'm like, Jesus, what do I say? What do I say? I knew I was going to be sharing with you guys this morning. So I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, 
I denied the whole story. I denied, I denied it. Uh, but, but honestly, I, I didn't remember it. I didn't remember it. And, but as soon as, as soon as that happened, I think it was like, I think it was like war shock. Cause as soon as I said that the memory started like flooding back in and I still had to walk with her down the aisle for the wedding. It was great. So be nice. Uh, call people back. I don't know. I don't know what the point is in that. Other, other than uh, it was a great wedding yesterday, and I'm glad to be here. But um, yeah, she had forgiveness issues. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk this morning about forgiveness. And... Um, <laughs> I'll just give you a minute if you need to make it right with anyone. Go ahead. And, uh, but we're in a series. Um, we're in a series this morning when Jesus is in charge. And what I want to talk about this morning, I, I do want to talk about forgiveness. But what I want to talk about this morning is, is really what I believe is one of those, those core values. If Jesus is in charge of your life, and uh, if you want to live the big life, the big life where joy is central, where sorrow is peripheral, the big life, I'm talking about church, the life that God intended for each and every one of us. If it's your first time here this morning, I'm so glad you came. And I want you to know that Jesus, he's got a good life ahead for you. And he's got, he's, he has so much love for you. And I want to talk about this morning what that life looks like, the big life, the life where, where Jesus is in charge. And I want us to look at Matthew chapter 18 this morning, probably one of my favorite stories in the New Testament and if you have a Bible or your electronic device, Matthew, it's the first book of the New Testament. And uh, this story reminds me of why I do what I do. It gets me pumped up because it reminds me why we come and gather every time we gather. It reminds us about why we do what we do and who we are. And so I want to take us on a little journey this morning. And if you'll hang with me, I want to kind of tell a little story and navigate us through this journey. And in the end, you'll see how this all comes together. But it starts with this story of a guy named Peter. And Peter comes to Jesus in Matthew 18, and he asks Jesus this question. He says, Lord, how often, how often shall my brother sin against me and I, and I should forgive him? Is it up to seven times? Now, you need to know something about this guy, Peter. Peter, Peter could have used an anger management course, if you know what I'm talking about. He's the guy who always uh, spoke before he thought. He's the guy who, uh, when they arrested Jesus in the garden, he pulls out his sword, chops the dude's ear off. I mean, he has some anger issues. And uh, so Peter, uh, my guess is, my guess is he's probably ticked off at somebody. He probably just wants to let them have it, if you know what I'm talking about. And so he's thinking, all right, I know there's got to be some sort of loophole here, and he's looking for that loophole. And so he wants to uh, just kind of unleash hell on this guy. And uh, before he does, he's thinking, let me check with the big guy. So he goes and checks in with Jesus. He says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive before I can really let him have it? And he says, is it seven times? And he's probably, think, he's probably thinking, I know you, Jesus. Uh, seven's your number. I got that by now. So <laughs> is it seven times, the number for perfection? And Jesus says in verse 22, I, I didn't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So Jesus takes seven, the number for, for perfection. He multiplies it by the number 10 for completion. And he comes up with this big number of, of 70 times seven, 490. Now, Jesus is not saying on the 491st time, you can just unleash, unleash everything and let him have it. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is he's saying you do what you got to do to get the job done. You keep extending forgiveness until you have forgiven them. And Peter's got to be thinking at this point, if he had anger issues already, this didn't help. So he's probably thinking, why? And Jesus says, let me tell you why. Because when you come to Jesus, when Jesus is in charge of your life, 
things are different. Are you with me this morning? Things are different. When Jesus is in charge, things are different. Kingdom life is different. And he says in verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And so he goes on to tell this story. And that's kind of the story I, I want to just sit in a little bit for this morning. But he tells a story of slaves and, and he talks about the economy of debt in the first century. And you have to understand something as we go through this story. In the first century, the economy of debt was you owe, you pay. If you have a debt, you have to make payment for it. It's you owe, you pay. So the king has been loaning money to his slaves, and the day of accountability has come, and he's lined up his slaves, and he's saying, all right, now you've got to pay up your debt. And, and there's still this rule in our economy today, right? Just because you have a mortgage, come on, student loans, anybody? Just because you have a car payment, just because you have some debt, you can't just say, man, this debt's cramping my style. I don't think I'm going to make payment for it today. Are you with me? right? You got to make payment. Otherwise, what? You're going to get a, a knock at the door or a letter in the mail, probably from some Italian dude named Vinny or Rufus, and they're going to be trying to collect on you. You know what I'm talking about? So you have to pay because the economy was what? You owe, you pay. So the Bible says there's these men, and these slaves, they're together. And in verse 24, it says, when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, just to give a little perspective here, because I don't, I mean, who knows how much that was worth. 10,000 talents, you would earn one talent every 15 years as a slave. So 10,000 talents, this is a life, multiple lifetimes uh, worth of debt. And so you've got to be thinking, wow, either uh, this king is a very generous king and just doesn't keep track of uh, how much he lends people, or this slave is just terrible with his money. Um, either way, there's not a great situation going on here. But what Jesus is doing, Jesus takes the largest number, the highest number in the Greek language, and pluralizes it. Basically, it's the number we have today of a gazillion. You know what I'm talking about? How much is this? It's a gazillion, right? It's the amount of people uh, on, the free, on the highway during traf- uh, rush hour traffic. It's a gazillion. You know, you just can't count. It's Im- immeasurable, insurmountable, right? It's, it's like, it's the same amount of times I, uh, Apple comes up with a new iOS update. You know what I'm talking about? There's always a new one. Uh, it's the amount of time parents, your kids are asking what's for dinner. And uh, he just comes up, so Jesus just comes up with the highest Greek number there is, and he, and he says, <laughs> it's just the, the biggest number. So he calls one of his slaves that owes him 10,000, and he says, but since he did not have the means to repay him, in verse 25, and you've got to be thinking, how could a slave take such advantage of the king for such uh, great generosity without the ability to make provision, without the ability to pay back his debt? So the Bible says in verse 25, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children in all that he had that repayment would be made. So hang with me here. Here's what they did in the first century. In the first century, what they would do, let's say you owed some debt and you couldn't make repayment. If you couldn't make repayment, you would get sold into slavery. Now, if it was such a large debt as we're looking at in the situation, not only would you get sold into slavery, but your spouse would be sold into slavery. Little Timmy and little Michael, your children, yeah, they're sold into slavery too. Your aunts, your uncles, and all those to come after you until that debt is repaid are sold into slavery. So here's what happens. They knew that you owe, you pay, right? So the slave knows this. And in verse 26, here's what he does. He says, so the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I'll repay everything. 
Now, you know what he's doing, right? This is like a Hail Mary. He's trying to, he's, he's thinking, man, if I could just distract the king for a little bit, if I could draw his attention over to the side, make him believe that I'm going to repay him, dude, as soon as I get out of here, I'm on the first camel out of here. Like, I'm, I'm getting out of Jerusalem quick. You know what I'm talking about? I'm out of here. So it's a Hail Mary. He's trying to distract him. But the audience on the sideline, they know what's going on here. And as Jesus is telling the story, they're captivated and they're thinking, all right, they're just waiting for Jesus to drop the ax, right? And they got to be thinking, man, this slave, there's no way he's going to make the repayment. He's talking out his ears, right? He, he, there's no way he can make the repayment. So they're, they're waiting. They're like, all right, this is insulting to the king. This is ludicrous. What's going on here? So it's like me saying I'm going to empty the Pacific Ocean out with a teaspoon, right? It's just impossible. So here's what Jesus' audience does. They're waiting for the ax to fall. They're waiting for, for Jesus to just let him have it. They're, right, all right, they're thinking, all right, Jesus, let him have it. Like, what's going to happen here? He owes. We know that if he owes, he's got to pay up. So in verse 27, it says, And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now, church, this is astounding because as you read through this, two things here happen. Number one, the king says, take off the chains. Take off the chains. You're, you're, call your wife. Call her on the cell phone. You're not going into slavery. Everyone is free. But number two, the second thing that's going on is forget that, forget that gazillion dollar debt. Can you imagine somebody just calling you up and just saying, hey, I'm going to pay off your debt. Forget the debt. Forget about it because it has been forgiven. Now, you think about this for a moment because whenever something is forgiven, somebody still has to, to eat, the, eat the cost of that, Right? Somebody still is at loss, whether it's money or, or, or something else. It doesn't just disappear. Even if you declare bankruptcy, somebody eats the cost there. So, so hang with me. Watch what Jesus does. He's offering a whole new system of debt management. In the old system of debt management that they were familiar with, it was you owe, you pay. So Jesus comes along. He's telling this story, and everyone's thinking, oh, we know he's got to pay. But then he puts this little twist at the end, and he introduces this new economy of debt, which is you owe, and Jesus says, I'll pay. Welcome to the economy of grace, he says. So the slave goes home. He, he, he tells his wife, he, he says, I've got, uh, I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. The bad news, um, I've racked up the credit cards. I've, uh, I, I owe the king a ton of money. And she's got him thinking, oh, my gosh, you did this again? And uh, she's like, all right, get out the chains, guys. <laughs> We're sold into slavery. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. The king forgave our debt. The king forgave our debt. So in verse 28, it goes on to say this. The slave went out and found one of the fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. Now this is, by the way, this is chump change. This is lunch money. So surely those that are listening to Jesus telling the story, they're thinking, wow, not only, the, the king just forgave him all this debt. What is the natural, what is our natural uh, inclination when we've received a huge blessing like that or been forgiven greatly? We want to go and extend that to others, right? We want to go share of what we just, uh, we, we just received. So this king goes and does this, and they're probably thinking, oh, he's going to go. He's going to forgive his friend now, friend on friend. It says he seized him, his friend, and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. This is like a bad episode of Jerry Springer or Dr. Phil right here. He starts choking his friend, and he's saying, give me, give me what you owe me. Pay it up, buddy. And they've got to be thinking, wow. In verse 29, his fellow slave fell to the ground. And began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, and I promise you, I'll repay everything. You notice what he does here? 
he says to his, his peer on peer, he says, what, he says the same thing the slave who was just forgiven said to the king. He says, give me some time and I'll pay you back. And in verse 30, it says, but he was unwilling and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So no mercy, no grace, no forgiveness was shown. He just, he just throws him in, locks him up, and he says, this is, I'm, I'm having revenge now. Now, I want to show you another slide. Do you guys remember this match? Do you guys remember Tyson and Holyfield? Do you remember how this one ended, right? He bit off his ear. Let me just say, the moment you bite off somebody's ear, it ceases to be sport after that. I mean, that's just, you're just trying to, at that point, you're just trying to inflict as much uh, pain and injury as you possibly can. So, um, but if you think about this, have you ever, uh, have you ever met somebody, uh, have you ever met somebody with, with unforgiveness? And does it, does it ever feel like, I mean, it's kind of like being in that boxing match. Somebody with unforgiveness it's, who's bitter, it's like they've just been in a boxing ring when you're around them. They just want to bite somebody's ear off. They're, they're bitter, they're upset, they're angry. That's the attitude of this guy in verse 31. It says, so when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened in verse 32. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way, he says, in the same way that I had mercy on you? So basically the king's saying to this guy, he's saying, buddy, you made a big mistake. You just, you were just on the receiving end of the largest grace operation in history, and you're not willing to extend grace to your fellow slave now? You've, you've made a huge mistake. You obviously did not learn what I was trying to teach you. You were shown forgiveness, but you won't, show, you won't give it to anyone else. You were granted mercy, but you won't bestow it or extend it to anyone else, and you were offered the economy of grace, but you chose the economy of vengeance. And the king says, all right, then, if this is how you want to play, we'll play your game. And in verse 34, he says, his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed. And here's the punchline. Here's the punchline of the story. He says this. He says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Church, I I don't know if you get this, but I, I love this story. The message is simple, that you and I and everyone here, we're on the receiving end of the largest grace operation in history. That the grace God has given us, that God is the king, you and I are the slaves because we have this mountain of moral debt before the king. You'd say, who's the biggest debtor I know? It's not the United States, it's us. We each have this, I mean, is there a point in your life where you realize and, you know, you're just, we're just not that good. I mean, forget sin being second nature. Sometimes it seems like it's first nature. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I try and go a day without sinning and it's like, man, it just, it just happens. And there's so many people I meet that we try, that, that believe as long as we're more good than bad, then we're, then we're, then we're okay. You know, uh, I think it was Benny Hinn, the great, uh, the great uh, preacher, asked um, uh, somebody, you know, how, how good do you think you are on a scale of zero to 100? And they put their name just above the 50% mark. And he says, well, I had the opportunity to ask uh, Mother Teresa this, and you know where she put her, her name? She put her name at the 38%. The 38%. He goes, you want to change your answer? And the guy quickly grabs his pens, changes his answer. He says, well, that's interesting. The guy puts his name just below Mother Teresa. And he goes, you know, uh, I had the opportunity to ask Benny Hinn, the great uh, evangelist, where, where he would put himself. And he put himself at the 28% mark. 
Quickly, he grabs his pen and tries to puts his name just below the line. Why? Because any time we compare ourselves to somebody else, we're always complaining the compare game. But the, the comparison is not us against somebody else. It's, it's, it's us with God, and God is 100% holy, perfect, and pure. And so often, if, if this circle is our relationship with the Lord and, and God being at the center, we try and walk the line. How, how far from the center can we live while still being in the circle? But has there been a point in your life where you've realized, man, there's this debt that anytime I lie, cheat, fudge on a test, listen, anytime I have a bad business deal, gossip or slander about somebody or tear them down, listen, anytime we do that, we're building up this debt against our king, our, uh, against God. And all of a sudden, in that moment, have you had that moment where it just dawns on you, man, I, I'm in need of a savior. I'm not perfect. I I do need God's grace. And for those of you that have been to the cross, you know what happens at that moment, and it's why we get so excited to do what we do here. It's why we get so excited to come together, because Jesus introduces this new economy of debt where formerly it was you owe, you pay. Now Jesus comes along and he says, you owe, I pay. Anything you owe, that mountain of moral debt, I'll forgive it. I'll pay the price. There's nothing we could do to do that, but Jesus says, I'll do that. Walter Wink writes the story of about the gross. Uh, Walter Wink writes the story about the Gross Myers and the Gross Myers. They were sent as emissaries, peacemakers, um, on behalf of the West German Christians up into Poland to ask the Poland Christians for forgiveness for the atrocities that Germany exacted upon Poland during the war. So they started making these trips into Poland for the purpose of meeting and building a relationship. But at the end of every meeting together, they'd gather around in a circle, join hands, and they'd pray the Lord's Prayer before leaving. And they did this year after year, the West German Christians going into Poland to build a relationship. And it was on the fifth or sixth trip, I, I don't recall which, but the Grossmeyers, they'd felt they had laid enough groundwork that the foundation had been built, the relationship had been built to address the issues at hand. And as the West German Christians broke the news to the Poland Christians that we've been developing this relationship, we've been coming each year because we want to ask for your forgiveness for the atrocities that our our country exacted on your people. And there was this old man in the crowd, true story. Old man begins to speak up and he says, you do not know what you are asking. If you think about what you're asking, I mean, think about the young, the men and the women that lost their lives in these concentration camps, the, the children that were killed and tortured in the, in, the, in the gas ovens. Think about the torture and the rape. Think about the young men and women that were separated from their parents as the trains left to depart to the concentration camps. Think, think about what you're asking. True story, this old man, he speaks up and he says, These are his words. He says, what you ask is impossible because every stone in Warsaw is soaked with Polish blood that was spilled. So the West German Christians, they're they're disappointed. I mean, they they had hoped that, you know, everything that they'd been investing and working toward, they're disappointed. It didn't work out. But they concluded that day the same way they had concluded every other year. They'd gathered up in a circle. They held hands. They began praying the Lord's Prayer. And that day they prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread and help us to forgive others 
as we forgive them their debts. And suddenly this old man, he pauses in the midst of his own words. And he looks at the, uh, around the circle. And he says, well, then I guess we need to forgive them. Otherwise, we cannot go on praying this prayer. And 18 months later, the West German Christians met with the Polish Christians in Vienna to establish a relationship that exists to this day. Church, I have a question for us this morning. Who is it that we need to forgive? Who is it that we need to forgive? I mean, who is it that if given the opportunity and no one was looking, whose ear do we want to bite off? I mean, I mean, who is it that we need to forgive this morning? Well, Pastor Sean, you have, you have no idea how my dad treated us growing up. You, know, you have no idea about the abuse and, and, and when he left, and you have no idea. You're right. I don't. But I know that we're called to forgive. Pastor Sean, you have no idea about the way my mom treats us, the way she belittles us with her words, the way she cuts us down, and, 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 and what she's involved with, and she just can't continue to do that. And how do you ask that? You're, you're right. I don't, I don't understand what that's like. But I know that we're called to forgive. Why? Because the only way that we're going to live the big life, the only way we're going to live a life where joy is central, sorrow is peripheral, the only way Jesus can truly be in charge of our life is when we learn to walk in forgiveness. Because here's the thing about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will poison your life. It'll poison your marriage. It'll poison your relationships. If, you've met, if, if you walk around with unforgiveness, you begin living your entire life using all of your means, all financial, any, anything at your resources or dispense to exact revenge upon somebody else. And it ruins, it poisons everything. I mean, you wake up in the morning and it's the thing that begins to fuel you. You go out on a date with somebody and, and, it, and it just breaks up that relationship because that's the only thing you can think about. You can't move beyond that barrier. You've, we've got we've to learn to walk in forgiveness. Now, I didn't say forget. See, the Bible says God separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. Yeah, he's God, but we've still got to forgive. And forgiveness, church, is a 24-hour process. It's ongoing. And I'll tell you, it's not always easy. I heard a story about, a, uh, about this married couple. They've been married for many years, and um, <clears throat> Robert and Ethel. And one day, the, the husband, Robert, he just did something really dumb. I'll tell you, it, 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 was, it was terrible. And, and, uh, but he, Robert worked it out with Ethel. He asked for her forgiveness, and they had worked it out. But here was the thing. From time to time, Ethel would bring it up. She'd bring up what he did and kind of just revisit this from time to time. So one day, Robert, he, he says, honey, why, you know, I, we, we worked through this, but you continue to bring it up. I thought our policy was forgive and forget. Why do you keep bringing this up? And she goes, oh, honey, that is our policy. I just never want you to forget that I've forgiven and forgotten. <laughs> Husbands, wives, listen, if, if, you've, if you've asked for forgiveness, let it go. You got, you, you got to work past it. You got, you got to let it go. And I don't know if I can invite anyone from the worship team to join me, but uh, if, if you're available. But listen, we're rounding third base. Hang with me here, guys. We're almost there. I don't know if you remember, anyone remembers the story of, uh, of Corey Timboom, the concentration camps and the horrific experiences, the tragedy and the violence that she walked through. She actually lost her, sis- her, her sister Betsy to the, uh, in the concentration camps due to the malnutrition and, and starvation that took place. But what Corey, if you've read her story and you know what she's walked through, 
the horrific things. What did she do? She, she went on to travel all throughout Europe preaching the message of reconciliation. She went all throughout Europe preaching the message of forgiveness and God's grace that now, no matter how deep our pit is, no matter how deep our sin, no matter how bad we are, God's grace is still, still bigger. His love is still greater. And it's all said and good, and it's all good until you read the last three pages of her book called The Hiding Place. And as she concludes her book, she tells the story of a time she's speaking in Vienna. She's speaking in Vienna, and it's, it's where the Ravensbrück guards have gathered, and she's, she's preaching the message of forgiveness and reconciliation. And the Ravensbrück guards are the ones that stood, stood guard over those concentration camps and allowed and oversaw the exacting of the abuse and the torture and, and, and everything that happened. And as she's preaching on forgiveness... The Ravensbrook guards are coming down the aisle to receive that forgiveness. And there's an individual, one of the guards that are coming down. And from the moment he begins, she recognizes him. It was the Ravensbrook guard that oversaw the raping and torture of the, of the, the shower area. And she recognized him and she just began to, to get nervous inside. And instantly he walks, as he walks down to the front, he says to her, he says, it's good what you talk about that the Lord will forgive. And he reaches out his hand to extend that forgiveness and ask for that forgiveness and receive of that forgiveness. And Corey Tamboom, she says, she writes, she puts it, I, I began to put out my hand to receive, to extend that forgiveness and I, I couldn't move it. And here's what she writes. It's not gonna be on the screens. I just, I just want you to hear me on this as I, as I read this. She says this, I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I couldn't. I felt nothing, not even the slightest spark of warmth for charity. So again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Would you please give me your forgiveness? And as I look, as I, as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and into my hand, this current seemed to pass from me to him. And while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me, So I discover that it is not our own forgiveness any more than it is our own goodness that the world's healing hinges on, but his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he will give along with that command the love itself. See, you talk to any alcoholic, maybe maybe not any, but most, and until they get to the point in their life where they're at the lowest of low, until they get to the point in their life where they're ready to make a change, they won't change. But when they're ready, they will take the steps and join an AA or celebrate recovery. And the same thing is for us. Until we're ready to ask for forgiveness, it'll be difficult. But when we're ready, Jesus will give us the power and the strength to walk in it as well. See, forgiveness does not mean we continue to allow somebody to hurt us over and over. Listen, you might be hurt by somebody who walked over you to get that permission, that promotion at work. You might be hurt by a family member or a friend that's just, it's been an abuse after abuse. Listen, listen, sometimes reconciliation can't always take place that maybe you can't always live within that proximity with them, but we are still called to forgive. Forgiveness means this. It means I give up the right and desire to hurt them back and truly wish them well before God. Can you say that? Can you say that? That I don't know if this morning maybe a face or name is popping in, into your mind and, 
and you're thinking, man, I, I know I could, I need to accept forgiveness, but can, can you truly wish them well before God? See, I, I know why we don't like to forgive. Number one is we like the, we love revenge. We've seen all the revenge movies, like the Terminator. You know what I'm talking about? I'll be back. Like, and he's always back, right? We love revenge. We get, we love watching these action movies. But number two is we forget the mountain of moral debt that we've built up ourselves. We've forgotten, we've forgotten the mountain of moral debt that we have before God and how much grace he's extended to us. Here's the end. Hang with me here. The main point is this. Listen, if you're in the room and you believe that your sin is too great for God to forgive you, then either we're minimizing the power of God and what he did for us on the cross But I also want us to remember this verse from Romans chapter eight, verse one. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say there's only a little bit of of condemnation. He says there's no condemnation. I want to ask you, do you know who wrote that? The apostle Paul. Do you remember who he was before he was the apostle Paul? He went by the name Saul, right? And what was Saul's occupation prior to begin, prior to writing all these, uh, prior to his writings and preaching the gospel? He led the genocide against, against the Christians. This dude killed hundreds, if not thousands, and led the killing of hundreds, if not thousands of Christians. But the Lord meets him. The Lord meets him and saves him, all for the purpose. I think it's kind of ironic. He finds the worst dude there is, the baddest dude there is, and he saves him to show everyone else for centuries to come that you're never too far gone for God's grace. No matter how deep your mountain of moral sin is, your moral debt, God's grace is still that much greater. Amen? But this is all a setup, and it's all a setup to get us to the cross. Because this would just be good information, but once we take it and apply it to our life, it becomes good news, and it transforms the way we live. And there has to be a point where at some point in our life where we really wrestle with, does, does Jesus exist? Is he real? And I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with, with each and every one of you to try and work through your questions. But, but there comes a point where we have to ask the question is, have we received of God's grace in our life? And I'll tell you, once you do, he'll help you work through those for areas of, of forgiveness. But I want to invite us to pray this morning as we close. I want to invite us as we do that, that if there are any names or faces that come to mind, that we would just begin to just ask the Lord to help us Help us to walk in forgiveness. I want us to to invite us to pray at this time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that comes through your word. Lord, we know that you you have allowed us to be on the receiving end of the largest grace operation in history. Church, I just want to speak to those of us in the room and just with eyes closed and heads bowed. You might be here this morning and, and maybe during this time, somebody's name or face came to mind that you need to forgive or you haven't extended forgiveness to. If, there's, if you're here this morning, you'd say, man, this is going to be one of the most difficult things and I don't even know how to do this. It begins with just saying, Lord, help me to forgive them. You might not feel it at the moment or want to do it, But if you do that day in and day out, Lord, help me to forgive them. Give me the love for them that I would truly wish them well. He'll meet you where you're at. So Father, I just pray for any this morning that have those names or faces before them, that God, you would just, Lord, move in grace and power this morning, Jesus, that you would just begin to break and soften our hearts, God, for those that we need to forgive. 
because that pain has probably hardened our hearts some. Father, I just pray that you would warm our hearts, melt them, and allow us to have your love this morning and that we would begin to walk in that grace. Keep your eyes closed for just a moment, church. You might be here and maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. See, it's a beautiful story of Jesus, God who sent Jesus because God is holy, perfect, and pure. He wants a relationship with us. And he sent his son, his son who died on the cross for our sins because he knows that it's not we owe, we pay. He says, I will pay the price for our sins. He, dies for, he died for us so we could receive his grace and forgiveness. And because love, in order for it to be authentic and genuine, has to be freely given. You can't force or coerce love. He says, I want to give you the choice to choose to accept me in your heart. I've, he says, I've been chasing you and I've been pursuing you. And from day one, I've been in love with you. But if you've never opened your heart to his love, I just want to give you that opportunity this morning that while everyone's eyes are closed and praying, just that, that, you would res- that we would be uh, responding to the move of the Spirit this morning. If you're here and you'd say, I, I want to open my heart to Jesus this morning and make him my Lord and Savior. As everyone's eyes are closed, would you just slip your hand up in the air so I can see you? I just want to agree with you. I won't call you out or embarrass you, but if there's anyone here that would just look up and lift your hand and just say, that's me. I just want to agree with you this morning. Is there anyone here that would make that decision? Just slip your hand up in the air. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that this morning your love and grace is here in this place. Father, would you continue to just warm our hearts with your love and that as we go from this place this morning that we would be known as people that love and share your grace with others. In Jesus' name, amen.